Welcome back to the Go Off Sis podcast. Your very favorite Instagram channel and Refinery29 sub-brand is now in audio version with your favorite melanated Monas from the R29 Unbothered Town. Did they give us a podcast? Hey! As always, our conversations will be unshakable, they will be unfiltered, and you know they will be unbothered. Last time we introduced ourselves, we gave you our name our title and our sign but this time we gonna give you our favorite passive aggressive email tactic okay (laughs) let's get into it channing hargrove please introduce yourself to the folks hey y'all i'm channing hargrove i'm the fashion news editor at refinery 29 and my favorite passive aggressive email tactic is to say per my last email and then in parentheses copied below for your convenience oh my god not convenient with the passage that we are talking about that you have somehow chosen to ignore that's 7-eleven service for your for your convenience i.e do not bother me again yes (laughs) and read i.e read (laughs) larice mcmillian tell the people who you are my name is Laurie mcmillian i'm the content strategy editor for the refinery 29 instagrams um I do not consider myself a passively aggressive person. I think I can be damn right aggressive. Mm. I'm a Taurus. It comes (laughs) with the territory, okay? So when I am aggravated or irritated by an email, you typically will not get a, you know, friendly sign-off from me. It will just be dry as hell. It will say best, comma, L. And that's it. That is nothing else. I have nothing else for you. All she has for you is initials. Yep. Initials. Not even two. Just <laughs> just one. Just one. Just L. Bringing it up in the rear, our little baby, Raven Baker. Hey, guys. My name is Raven Baker. I am the associate social media editor for Unbothered. And my passive-aggressive email tactic is bullet points. Come on. I feel like we've been going back and forth. We're on our 23rd message to each other. This chain is long. I'm confused. <laughs> And I'm just going to break it down. Like, I'm going to tell you what I need from you, what I want, what I need to get out of it. And I don't want to talk again. You're going to spoon feed this information. Yes. I don't want to talk again until you have what I need. Do you have it? Mm -hmm. Did you read the bullet points? Raven said step one, step two, step three. Mm -hmm. Moving on. I feel like a bullet pointed email from Raven is like the equivalence of a clap emoji. Like, it is. (laughs) It is. That is me clapping. Step one. Step two. (laughs) Moving on. Hashtag moving on. My name is Danielle Cadet. I am the managing editor of Refinery29 Unbothered. And my favorite passive-aggressive email tactic is saying, thank you for your patience. (laughs) (laughs) Because my time is not yours, ladies and gents. My time is mine, unless you are paying for it. Most people in my inbox are not. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Passive-aggressive email sign-off is oftentimes how we get through the day in our workplace As a black woman, the workplace can be a very fraught environment. And it's already hard enough for us as black women out in the world. How you bring your fullest self into your workplace can be a whole nother challenge for black women specifically. And I want to start off with our little baby, Raven Baker. I will always be the little baby. Always. Always. Child, you will be be a grandma and you'll still be the little baby. Mm -hmm. Love that (laughs) for me. My future's bright. (laughs) Raven, talk to me a little bit about 
just your experience coming into the workforce because this is your first job out of college. Yes, baby, I'm blessed. Yes. Okay. So tell me about that. Tell me about just kind of getting into the workforce and what your experience has been like as a black woman. Yeah, definitely. So I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I have never left the state of New York for anything. Like, study abroad, yes. But, like, school, I've always gone to school here. Middle school, high school, and college. <clears throat> I went to FIT in the city, which is a PWI. If you did not know, do not believe the hype. It is extra, 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 extra not melanated there. So navigating, like, that white space was super tough for me. Like, I was hella depressed in college. Mm-hmm. Was very confused. Was changing my major. Figuring out what I wanted to do. And I felt like that's where I got my stripes. Like, I had my hard time in college. And then once I graduated, I just was not stressed or pressed about finding a job. I knew it would be hard, and it absolutely was. Like, 125 applications deep, baby, before I heard anything. Mm. Like, a no, a yes. LinkedIn was my best friend. And then I met someone who was at Refinery, another black woman. And she was just like, look. I think that you are dope. I think you have great ideas. There's an internship open. You know, like, are you interested? And at that time, I was working retail on the struggle bus, the passenger side. Not the struggle bus. Yes, baby. It was hard. Right. (laughs) On the passenger side. I was up close. Like, it was very check to checkish. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try. And I had applied to Refinery, like, three times before I ever really broke through. But um, thanks to that woman who helped me out, I was able to enter this space. And I started out on a team that was not so unbothered. I started out on Snapchat and it was very not cultural and it was a hard space to thrive in, especially as like a young black media professional. And I didn't necessarily always feel welcome or heard. So it was hard in navigating that as well. But once I found my footing on that team, I felt like I was really able to shine and find this space. And I know that unbothered is an anomaly. Like, this does not exist out in the world at all. A team solely comprised of very strong, smart, intelligent Black women who, Mm. like, pour into each other. Mm. Talk to me a little bit about another Black woman seeing you and acknowledging you and seeing that you had the ideas and making space for you. It sounds like in your experience, the door was open because another black woman saw you. Yeah, but that door didn't open for a while. And I had a lot of older black women definitely make me feel like an imposter in the space and make me feel Mm. inadequate and definitely did not pull up a seat to the table for me, let alone let me like stand outside the room. So it was refreshing to meet that woman and for her to see something in me to be like, you know what, you need to be in this space. But what I will say is that um, even when those people in your life do find you and put you on, it's you who gets you the job. Mm. It's you who, you know, does the work. You show up every day and that's how you make it happen. Mm. Was that Empress? It was Empress. Shout out Empress. It was Empress. (laughs) Shout out to black women who are really out here seeing other black women. Mm -hmm. But I want to touch on something that you said. And Larissa, I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Is just the imposter syndrome, right? And that sometimes, whether it's women that look like us or just in general, we feel like we don't necessarily belong in a space. Yeah, I mean, I am a really unique person in media, I think, because I not only am a black woman, but I went to community college. Like, I didn't go to Syracuse. I didn't go to 
you know, FIT even. Like, I went to community college, and after that, I went to University of Baltimore. God bless his soul. That school, we graduated a class of, like, 3,000 people. Um, We don't have people who leave Baltimore City. Like, we don't have people that leave home. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I really came up in the industry with kind of a chip on my shoulder, like, oh, no, like, I know I got this. And I remember being in those very white spaces very early on in my career and feeling like, is this a mistake? Mm. Does the black girl from University of Baltimore belong in the same internship program as the girls who went to Parsons? And I think that in reality, that mindset is so, I mean, obviously, like for, for lots of women, lots of people, it's inevitable sometimes. But I think that it makes you stronger. Mm. I know that my strategy will run circles around this because I've worked for mine. I've worked for my stuff. And mm. every room that I've been in, I've had to earn it. I've, I couldn't just get by on, you know, my mom is an executive at HBO or mm. like I am just cute and I can, you know, glide in some red bottoms. Mm. You know, I think that it really does help that the spaces that I've been in have been predominantly female, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. And I think that despite being the only black girl in the room, sometimes I always made it a point to seek out black mentors. I feel so blessed to have Danielle in the room with me. I just, I truly appreciate it when, when I do see, um, people in the space, black women in the space who do look down and reach out their hand and lift the young ones like us up. I mean, there's so much that you said that I want to unpack. One thing I want to touch on is the fact that as a black woman, whether you come from a privileged background or not, whether you go to a school that has this great journalism program and you're coming into the media, you're still coming into the media as a little black girl. You know, and I'll be honest, I went to one of the best journalism schools in the country. I went to Northwestern and I got my bachelor's and my master's from there. I paid a lot of money to go to a really great school. But at the same time, people are still seeing a little black girl. Yeah. You know, at my first job, I was the youngest person running a section. I had a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of imposter syndrome. I cried in the bathroom like three times a day. And really a lot of what got me through that was the girlfriends I had, the black women I had outside of the building, the black women that I had who were like, hey, girl, meet me around the corner. It's happy hour. I already ordered your drink. (laughs) And I was able to like, that's a friend. I also didn't didn't have any money. So like those like two app for one happy hours were dinner for me. Your finances are a really big part of what your experience is mm-hmm. like, too. Raven, you, you're feeling triggered. Go ahead, Oh, my sis. God, y'all. Especially as, like, the younger person in the room. I graduated in 2017. It's 2019. Like, mm-hmm. I've just gotten my foot in. I've just gotten... Child. She a child. Yeah, honestly. That's somebody and child. The fact that you said girl is so important because since I'm younger, when I enter these spaces, especially when I still had the word intern in my title, mm. people treated me as a black girl. They did not see me as a black woman in those mm. spaces. And then when it came down to the money, I was getting paid like a black girl too yep. with that wage gap. It was Come on. so intense and I really had to advocate for myself in such a BDE kind of way. Like mm. it made me super uncomfortable, but I had to do it to get what I deserved. Come on. And I'm there now. Yes. And I'm still on that path. Amen. You really do have to put your best foot forward when it comes to negotiating for what you're worth. Trust me, they are going to tell you Yep, it's X, Y, and Z, no negotiation. Right. We're not budging. No, first of all, that's impossible. Mm. They will budge. Fight for yourself, 100%. Coming up after the break, Channing shares the struggles of being a black woman in fashion journalism.
I have honestly been incredibly blessed and incredibly fortunate to have worked in environments with people that looked like me. I worked at places that served black audiences. Before being at Refinery29, I was at ESPN, where I launched a site called The Undefeated, which explored the intersection of race, sports, and culture. My whole newsroom was black, and although we operated in a very white space at the ESPN corporate conglomerate, our entire newsroom was comprised of majority black and brown people. Before that, I was at the Huffington Post, where I was the editor for the Black Voices section. My team was primarily black. So I say that to say that I've been really, really blessed. And I've had this incredible experience of working around primarily black and brown people throughout my career. That doesn't mean that I haven't had to navigate very white spaces, but my immediate work environment has been very black. And that's been a blessing. I know that I've had a very unique experience. Channing, you have had the opposite experience. You're not only a black woman in white space in media, but you are a black woman in the white space that is fashion journalism. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that a little bit. I don't even know where to start. It's hard because I think it's important to to note the distinction between print and digital. So when I graduated, we were in the middle of a recession. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of snuck in the back door, like with a blog and I wrote for whoever would have me. And then I moved up from there. But my first full-time job um, was a fashion reporter position for a website that doesn't exist anymore, but I loved my boss. She really, really advocated for me and her team. It was one of the most diverse teams that I've ever been on, actually, which says a lot because that was almost like 10 years ago. But I wasn't hazed. I think a lot of Black women in print have the idea that there could only be one. And so I didn't have that experience. I've never been forced to slave in a closet. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I feel very comfortable in a digital space because I felt like I could prove what I was able to do on the opposite side of that because I didn't have that experience as I would go to different companies and no one looked like me it's hard to find a footing or to even be protected like when you don't have a manager who is equipped to advocate for someone who is not like them it is a really difficult position to be in. Absolutely. The way that you phenotypically look as a black woman especially in fashion Mm -hmm. can really affect what opportunities you get professionally. Of course. I'm not a a palatable-looking person. Like, you see me, I very much have two black parents, and you can tell. I was a little smaller when I was younger, but, you know, as I've... There we go. Child, we all were. As I've gotten older, (laughs) I've I've put on my grown woman weight, and that kind of affects the way that I'm shaped. You know, I'm a black girl. She got that booty. Booty. But, I mean, when you're in a space and you want to participate in trends, and, you know, I'm not shaped like a frail person Mm -hmm. so then you know someone's looking you up and down and are you appropriate these are trends that I want to participate in a lot of times they've stemmed from my culture Mm -hmm. and even like the anxiety you feel when you change your hair right Mm -hmm. it's like you really love it when you're sitting in the shop you've been sending your pictures all day and then you're like oh but I gotta go to work walk in the Mm -hmm. yes and if anybody acknowledges it for someone to want to then like ask me questions about it or you know, how long did that take? Or what does, is it heavy? Does it hurt? Can I touch it? It's like, no, no. Right. Just all it's, of it is off limits. It's a point of conversation now. You know, outside of this space, I'm pretty confident. Mm-hmm. And then I come in here and I'm like, oh, damn. Into that white space. Right. Into the white space. Yes. Yes. And there's two things you said that I want to expand on. The word palatable mm-hmm. and culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's so much, especially for black people, um, but black women as well, 
is the way that we communicate with each other, mm-hmm. right? And oh. I think one of the the best things about Unbothered is we get in a room together and we commun- We just, it's easy. Mm-hmm. We can get on these mics, we talk to each other, it's comfortable, mm-hmm. we come up with ideas, but that doesn't translate across the board. No, it absolutely know? does and not. I want to talk about the language of being a black woman and how that can oftentimes conflict with the politics of a white space. Raven. How much time do you have? Right. <laughs> How much time do you have? We're going to have to condense it, sis. <laughs> it's wild to be perceived as angry when you're just moving through life. Right. Like, I am just showing up. I just feel like because so many of us show up as just a product of our life, you know, the way you dress, what accessories you choose. It's like, if I show up the way that I would go out in Brooklyn... It's different when I show up at work that way. And I feel like I've done it enough where people are just like, oh, that's Raven. She's sporty. But it's like, <laughs> nah, I'm from Brooklyn. This is how we dress. Sporty. You know what I'm saying? This is She's just urban. me. This is just me. It's like, I can never do that. And it's like, yeah, because you wouldn't. Like, right. you wouldn't. And don't make me feel uncomfortable for doing it. That's you know it. Right. Exactly. In media, we tend to be a bit more lax about workplace attire. But professional attire is certainly a big part of what women experience, Black women experience, in different spaces. I think women who work in finance or, you know, women who work in way more formal spaces. As a Black woman, you have to dress a certain way. Or even for us, we don't work in a formal space. But white girls can wear a crop top in the office in a way that a Black woman can. Mm -mm. And I think that's something that... Channing, I'd love to hear what you say about that just from like a style perspective. I mean, it's hard because there are girls sometimes I see in it, you know, like everyone wants to wear their little cut off shorts. I'm like, well, if I did that, half a cheek would hang out and then I might be sent home. <laughs> not you <know>? half a cheek. <laughs> like, it's not, that's just not a feasible look for me when you're shaped in a particular way. But right. I also think that like when your body is constantly over sexualized, you learn to take the precautions, which is not something that we should do, but we've been conditioned mm. to dress ourselves in a way that like you attract the least amount of attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it also, to your point, Channing, like when you think about specific brands that skew more towards a white audience and other brands that skew more towards a black audience, I'll never forget at work one time I saw somebody wearing one of those like, I'm not going to drop like- names, but you know, those like Paisley right? and like they're wearing those crop tops. But, you know, if the same crop top is made all white with a baby fat logo on it, mm-hmm. it's inherently sexier or inherently a little bit more inappropriate. So it's just very interesting how things just get by mm-hmm. and other things do not. Mm-hmm. I think for me, like when I was even looking for a job, that was so important to me. I was just like, I want to have a job where I could like leave on my gold jewelry, where Mm -hmm. I could like wear Jordans, where I could just be me. Mm. And I know that I am super lucky, even just based on where I sit. Like I sit with my team. Mm -hmm. I absolutely show up and like the shortest boxing shorts and a crop top. And I'm like, hey, y'all, morning family. (laughs) And I have like mouth jewelry, like I have tooth gems. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I love to show up like that because people know who I am you know what I'm saying like whether you like it don't like it you think it's ghetto you think it's on brand off brand this is what you're finna get yeah and also just having a code switch in spaces right like Larice, you said that you've worked in primarily femme spaces I just spent four years at a very white male company and the T is white male guilt and white female guilt Mm. are two totally different things 
Okay. And the way that I've had to learn how to code switch after spending four years with white men versus now being in a space where there are a lot of white women around me, Mm -hmm. that's something I've really had to learn. I realized that like white men didn't really think about what my face looked like in a meeting. I didn't sit there with the same face. They're, They're sitting there with the same face. Or just the kind of affirmation that I have to give. There's a different kind of barrier there. And the guilt that white women carry and the way they want to make you aware of that Mm -hmm. is so different and it operates in such a different way. Channing, I know you've got some good stories. Oh, my God. You know, it's so weird. I've had my tone policed in like really obvious ways. I remember there have been things that I've written that people have called angry when it wasn't angry. It was actually well-researched and a very much thought out argument that I was making. It wasn't emotional at all. And I was conscious of that when I made it. I've been in so many meetings where white women have cried. Mm. And and then it's like an awkward dynamic, right? Because it's like you are managing me. Right. And now am I supposed to comfort you? And also the reason you're crying is because you know that I'm right. Like I made you feel uncomfortable in a way that you don't like to feel. But then you're also now putting the onus on me to fix this problem right. to save you to whatever it is when in all, in a lot of cases I'm not the manager so but also your tears are dangerous like let's like a white woman crying like that. now and, and is my job in danger now because you are upset come on I'm gagged I'm gagged truly because like if you anywhere in the world if a white woman cries they traffic stops yes. traffic stops she could be on the sidewalk breaking down like someone stole her whatever like the world will move around that crying white woman like right. she becomes the sun they mm-hmm. are the orbit right right right, right. Larice, please jump in here i think that it's really interesting because while i have a very interesting work dynamic with white women I also have a really interesting one with white men, to your point, too. Like, I've had white women cry and have made me feel like I meant to protect them. Mm -hmm. But it's this weird thing. And maybe it's just me. I don't know how to freaking talk to white men. Like, I really don't. (laughs) And I feel like they are, like, scared of black women, like, in a different way. Like, they're not, like, scared that I'm a hurt they feel. I don't know what they do walk around thinking but we have someone at work a white man and he's very high up and because he's a higher up and he's a white man I don't know how to talk to them people I accidentally booty bumped the table that his coffee was sitting on and his coffee spilled everywhere and I'm like this 25 year old girl like oh shit like I didn't drop this man's coffee I'm apologizing I'm sorry and he's looking me dead in my face oh it's fine Uh, don't be sorry I'm sorry and I'm like why are you sorry like that's not even how this works and I feel like so much of it is like then you second guess yourself right it's like am I too in my head am I because to balance out what we're saying I should also be very clear that I've also had really great white male and female allies at places where I've worked. Mm -hmm. I've had white women and men go into rooms and have seats at tables that I didn't have seats at and literally be the ones to pull up a chair or to bring me there or to put my name on the table. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's one thing that I definitely think should be said. But at the same time, I end and because of that, I end up being in my head about it. That's so much of the reason why workplaces can be so fraught for us because there's so much emotional labor that, we have to then take on. It's like, how am I interacting with the other black women? How am I interacting with the black men? How am I interacting with the white women? How am I interacting with the white men? Are these people here for me? Are they not here for me? To go home 
at the end of the day with that, that's exhausting. That's a lot to have on your mind. That is something that black women deal with that a lot of other people don't deal with. Most of the time, if not every time, it's the world telling us black women are not good enough. Yeah. Larice, I want to um, talk to our um, social media strategist <laughs> over here who walks into rooms and really is very well respected. And I think everybody at the company truly knows that about you, knows that you are so well situated for where you are professionally because you are so knowledgeable. And so you are able to show up and you're able to boss up in a way that I think a lot of other black women may not be able to. And I'd I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit because I think it's really, truly inspirational. It's really interesting. When I first started at work, I started as our community manager at Refinery. And a community manager, for those of you who are not like well-versed in the industry, is a very low-level, entry-level job at most places. It's like a job you get right out of school. And in my job description, it literally just meant reading the comments and telling the editors what people were saying about what we were writing or what type of videos we were making. Um, what I guess a lot of people on my team or at the job did not know is that I had turned down several not associate social media editor jobs, but social media editor jobs as a 22-year-old person because I had that resume. Mm. And I was just a brand snob. And I was like, I'm not trying to work at this, that, and the third. I didn't want to work at just any magazine. I wanted to work at the uh, website that I appreciated and I cared about their voice and I cared about their mission. And so I took a, um, a lower-level job right out of school to be at the place I wanted to be at. With that being said, I definitely approached my little community manager job with some BDE. I would, for lack of a better word, read these editors and let them know what the world is telling about them. Come because, on, you read. know, if you have X thousand clicks on an article and, you know, X thousand comments, but all the comments are negative, it's my job to interpret that data for you. Mm. And I think that really early on, in my career, I was told that the way I was delivering was not palatable or was not in a way that was super easy. And again, I think that's definitely something you learn as a professional, just like how to communicate feedback. In my head, I'm like, you mean to tell me that you went to NYU, Columbia, this, that, and the third, and you can't take me telling you about your article? Like, I don't care. Mm. And so it's crazy. But now I'm not even going front. My life is great. I am 25. Since being at Refinery, I've had three promotions. I went from community manager to associate mm. social media editor Come on. to uh, content strategy editor, which I do now, and I mm. lead a team. Come and on. talk that talk. And All I and deserve. I talk that talk, and it's because I know what I'm talking about. Yes. And I, like I said, I've been told that like, oh, you're too harsh, or oh, like you're too. Um, you're not sensitive enough when delivering this. But at the end of the day, I'm a businesswoman. I'm a bottom line type of chick. Come and on. if my goal needs to be met, you're going to get this feedback. One of the things that I really rely on as a black woman, I think is kind of like my superpower, is my data. Mm. Like, I don't care where I come from. I don't care what I look like. I don't care what you have to say. But you're going to catch these numbers. Come on. I love everything you're saying. Because if there's anything I've learned in my career, it's that white men and men in general will they just have a kind of confidence that I think black women have to adopt as black women we're at the next level because not only do we have the qualifications but most people don't need them and we have them 
I think that also like goes back to the idea of like mentorship and things like that mm-hmm. too, or having other black women or just women or people in spaces that want to make you feel like you have that right. Like yes. I tell Raven all the time, don't be nice. She does. Change that email. Let them know what we need. Right. Cause frankly, that's what I need. Yeah. And, you know, I think sometimes it just takes somebody to help affirm you sometimes because Mm. all it takes is a a couple affirmations and you walking around with your own BDE. I think it's so important in every industry, but certainly in ours, Mm -hmm. especially mentorship is really for me. It's been the thing that's gotten me where I am. The feedback that I've gotten from people, mentorship and sponsorship, because those two things are different things. Mm -hmm. Mentors take a, a way more active role. Whereas sponsors are really the people that help you get into the rooms that you were not in. Mm-hmm. I have both. And I think that both of those things have really helped me and have helped make a difference in my career. The other thing I think is really important is I can't be threatened by people that are coming up after mm-hmm. me, by black women that are coming up after me. I think I've learned from one of my dear friends, shout out to Danielle Smith, that the way to stay relevant in this industry is to learn from the people who are coming up. There's so much stuff. Raven, not even to be on my old lady stuff, but how many (laughs) times am I like, Raven, what's this? Who is this? Who's this rapper? I don't know. And I'm constantly asking you because you're truly one of the smartest young people I've ever met. Oh, I thank you. And and I think that we... (laughs) (laughs) She's annoying. (laughs) I hate y'all. I think our generation is coming up in um, an industry where the generation prior to us was used to being the only person in the room. And so it can feel like a threat when somebody else that looks like you comes into the room. But mentorship goes both ways. And I think that we have a very top down thought on mentorship. Mm -hmm. And that's not the way it should be. We should also network across the aisle, folks. Like understand that your peers sitting to the left and right of you are oftentimes the people that are going to catapult your career forward. I also think what can be really hard about mentorship is how do you even get a mentor? Larice, you got a lot of mentors. How did you do it? I have a lot of people I consider mentors. And I also, I'll be honest, not all of them are black women. Mm -hmm. For the majority of my career, I've just been very blessed to have very strong women, some black women, some women of color, some white women whose work and the way that they've treated me in the workplace has just inspired me in a way that has really changed my trajectory. And I think that when you are honest about how you feel about a professional person and say, hey, like this internship was amazing. How do I keep in touch? Like, how do I become your mentee? Like just literally starting that dialogue for me has just changed so much. I just went to a thing last weekend and my old boss was on the panel and so crazy because I was a little baby when she hired me but like we're now drinking mimosas on a rooftop together and she is someone who I know I can always text her phone and get advice or ask about negotiations or like anything I need those women just want to be there for me and I think that it's hard to find those people but when you do you have to just balls up and ask them to, if you can you know take this relationship to the next level <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead right. <laughs> It's romantic. I don't know. Raven, what has your experience been like finding mentors and cultivating mentorship relationships been like for you? I'm not even going to sit here and lie. Like, I was good at it because I was not. And I feel like a lot of times you have to start to understand, like, company hierarchy Mm -hmm. and, like, what title you would want. Mm. Who has the title that you would want Mm -hmm. and seeking out that person because they have a lot more time. And it's like... 
they also had to come to that space. So they're they're more willing to give you advice or to pour into you. Mm. And don't be hurt if that person says that they can't do it. Right. Because it's like, ultimately, you stood out. But definitely like those smaller events that seem uninteresting, that seem like, oh, maybe 10 people might come to this, it's going to be whack. But that woman who you need to meet is hosting it. If you go to that event and you're the one girl that comes up to her that came to her event that stuck out, like, that means something it says something so we have officially reached the point of the podcast entitled don't at me <laughs> and our don't at me this week is compliments of our very own channing hargrove take it away sis so here's the thing mm. in this political climate now is not the time to play it safe mm. in any regard Come you on. show up in your braids, your gold chains. If that's not you, that's cool too. But mm. you show up however you are because we're going to create the change that we need to see, or we needed to see rather. Let's go. We're going to bring that for the younger girls coming up after us. It's going to be a safer environment now. It's going to be a more inclusive environment now. Amen. It's going to be a cuter environment now. Oh, cuter. <laughs> and we'll have it and we'll feel good about it because we're creating the change that we needed. Mm. Amen to that. That's Love like that. the ethos of Unbothered. It is. Oh, yes, it really is. is. Although bothered. sometimes I was sitting there bothered. <laughs> I have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> that part won't be in there. I hope our conversation about navigating the corporate world as a black woman was as inspiring for you as it was for me. Tune in next week as we discuss the beauty of black female friendships and the sisterhood that comes with it. The Go Off Sis podcast is a Refinery29 original. It is produced by Jay Brunson, Anissa Richmond, and me, Danielle Cadet. It's edited by Anna Costanza with the help of Ethan Cannon. My co-hosts today were Channing Hargrove, Larice McMillian, and Raven Baker. Like what you've heard? Head over to iTunes where you can find all of the episodes of Go Off Sis. While you're at it, leave us a comment and let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started on Instagram at R29Unbothered.